Part of why I'm calling this series on the book of Daniel True Grit, part of what gives Daniel true grit, and part of what is so, so good about Daniel as a character is that he finished strong. You know, he ran all the way to the end of his race. Uh, I, I think some of us think that, you know, the, the big battles in the Christian life happen early, and then you can sort of take it easy, you know? You sort of retire from spiritual battles and temptation. And Daniel shows us that's not the case. That if anything, God uses temptation to forge us more and more into his image. And we love it. We love to see people who finish well because it's hard to finish well. But we love to see people who are sprinting to the finish. In Daniel chapter 6, you see what we're talking about. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, and we see in this famous story, this now comes at the end of his life. We have been with Daniel now since he was a teenager, right? We watched him taken with his three buddies from Babylon into captivity, and he's now in, in, in Babylon as a teenager, and he resolves not to eat the king's food. We see him, you know, uh, 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 interpret the dream, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and then the handwriting on the wall. By now, Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Daniel is somewhere in his 70s, possibly 80 years old. And here he is faced with his toughest battle, and he's 80 years old. A couple weeks ago I was in prayer meeting and our brother Paul Levering was given the devotion. And he was given a powerful word about retirement, how it's not in the Bible. And he looked out and he said, retire. Retire means to put new tread on and let's go. Retire. I thought, that's what I'm talking about. Finishing strong, leaning into the tape. Daniel, you know this story, don't you? Famous story. Once again, a little curious why we teach it to kids. A little violent, but... Daniel chapter 6 is, of course, Daniel in the lion's den. Maybe better, Dan, I'm calling it the night the lions fasted. Here we go. Thank you. Here we go. <laughs> Daniel 6. You ready? It pleased Darius. Who's Darius? We met him in the last chapter. Darius is either Cyrus, the conqueror of Persia, and it's his governing name, his pseudonym, or it's uh, uh, sort of his prime minister, Cyrus's prime minister, whoever, this Medo-Persian emperor. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. What on earth is a satrap? Satraps, very simple. You got this massive kingdom from the king's perspective. The, re- the most important thing is that we keep the taxes flowing. The satrap's job was to collect the taxes and then make sure they got from the satraps to the king's treasury. And that's the problem. Verse 2. And over those satraps, over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. This will come as a shock to you, but it's possible to have waste in government. And Darius is no dummy, and he realizes the satraps can get the money. They've got the king's authority and the military to collect the taxes. They can get the money to the satraps, but who's to say the money will then go from satraps to the king's treasury? Apparently, sometimes that money would oddly get lost somewhere in the satraps' bank account. And so he puts these three high officials over the satraps' internal affairs. These are the auditors making sure there's no funny business. Then, verse 3, then this Daniel, and this will come as no surprise to those of you who've been part of the series, this will come as no surprise at all. What did Daniel do? Daniel excelled at this, and Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. 
And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel was so good at his job, so filled with integrity, that not only was he over the satraps, but the king was about to make him over the three that were over the satraps. Well, how does the office respond to this promotion? Nothing like a promotion in any office or school to really draw. I mean, do they celebrate for Daniel? I'm so happy for you, really. It should have been me, right? Here we see in verse 4, no different. Things haven't changed in 2,500 years. Nothing like a a little intra-office politics to find out the real nature of friendship. Sure enough, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. They are going to report him to HR. (laughs) Why? Well, part of it, I think, is envy. But part of it, of course, is, is, look, I mean... (laughs) Daniel's integrity, his scruples, are preventing the satraps from lining their pockets. This guy's getting in the way of our whole scheme. In fact, Daniel, if you would just get on board, everybody's doing it, all 120 satraps. We could all live a little nicer. Daniel, you could too. But the problem is they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Why? Because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. No error or fault found in him. Dale Ralph Davis says the real miracle of Daniel 6, not the lion's den, it's a squeaky clean politician. There's a miracle right there. I didn't say it. Dale Ralph Davis said that. I just quoted him in public. All right, all right, verse 5. Then these men said, now they got a real problem, right? They're, they're, they're envious, they're mad, whatever their motive. They want Daniel They don't want Daniel in charge because all of their corruption will be exposed. They're jealous. So then these men said, we've got to figure out how to to get rid of him. But what are you going to report him on? He's squeaky clean. You can't find any dirt. We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel. Unless. Unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Boom. Right there. That's brings us, that right there brings us to the first point. Can't find any complaint unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. I want you to write down three things this morning. Daniel was a man of, right? The first, Daniel was, or Daniel was a man with despised devotion. Write that down. First thing I want you to see about Daniel, he was a man with despised devotion. His devotion earned him some powerful enemies. But here you have, now, now see where I'm going with this. Some of you will see it a mile away. Some of you have already seen it. Here we have a follower of God in an increasingly secular society who does such good and honest work, you can't find any fault, but you get reported to HR. The way they're going to bring you down is something in connection with the law of your God. Now, is any of this sounding at all familiar? I mean, you see why we're going through First Peter? You see why we're going through Daniel? Uh, these, these Christians, they, they pay their taxes, they're good citizens, they're good workers. You can't honestly say they hate anybody. But you know, some of their beliefs in connection with the law of God, you know what, maybe, just maybe, we might be able to twist that and call them uh, 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 narrow-minded or uh, uh, somehow discriminatory, see, in connection with the law of God. You know the name Kelvin J. Cochran? You may remember that, it may not ring a bell. He was the former fire chief of the Atlanta Fire Department 
And under President Obama's administration, he was promoted all the way to become the U.S. Fire Administrator. This is, if you're in firefighter world, this is the, the, the top, uh, the chief uh, for, at the federal level. And what happened? He was fired. Why? Incompetence? No, no, no. He's very good. Fraud? Nope. Well, did he take bribes? That would be a temptation with someone in high public official uh, status. No. No, he was fired from the Atlanta Fire Department after he wrote a book for some of his church members. See, he was a lay, layman in the church, loved to study the Bible, and he wrote a book. And uh, in that book, along with many other things, he expresses a biblical view on sexuality, adultery, homosexuality. And they fired him because of what was in that book. They said he was anti-gay. I don't think he, anything I'm reading, he's really anti-anybody or anti-anything. But the fact of the matter is, you, you couldn't fire him for anything he did wrong as U.S. fire administrator. By all accounts that I read, he blessed the city of Atlanta as a public servant and served our country well. No, you hear what I'm saying? Nobody's perfect in their job. But hear this, you won't find anything wrong. You won't find any grounds for complaint unless you find it in connection with the law of his God. That's how we get them. See? You know the name Baronel Stutzman? This one is a little more famous. Ms. Stutzman is the owner of a little flower shop in the Seattle suburbs called Arlene's Flowers. Remember this? This one made it all the way to the Supreme Court. A longtime customer of this florist, Baronel Stutzman, this floral artist, asked her to design and create a custom floral arrangement for his upcoming same-sex ceremony. And she politely said, because of religious reasons, religious beliefs, she couldn't participate in the ceremony and referred him politely to three other local florists. The customer's partner described it on Facebook. The media outlets began sharing it. And in something utterly unprecedented, the Washington State Attorney General, who read it on social media, decided to then prosecute Miss Stutzman and claimed that the state law required her either to celebrate this ceremony or give up her wedding business altogether. She was sued multiple times of media inquiries, hate mail, phone calls, even death threats. She was a florist for 30 years who served everybody who came through her doors. If you, write, if you read her op-ed piece, she says, and you can almost hear the anguish in her voice, she says the worst part of all this is the person that she refused and all this for 30 years she'd known him. She said the worst part is I considered him a dear friend. She wouldn't have had florists. She didn't do it. What are you going to find? Let's find something in connection with the law of her God. See. You know the name Jack Phillips? He's the Colorado baker who was asked to bake a cake. I'll stop at any point when you say, we got it, we got it, we got it. You know, was, was Jack Phillips a bad baker? Did he, uh, uh, did he, did he poison? Did he, did he use bad food practices? Did he sneak a little rat poison in every third cupcake? Because woohoo! Like, I mean, he's, you understand? You're not going to find anything wrong with this guy. You're not going to find he pays his taxes. He doesn't. No. But, but here's the thing. He had the law. He, it was something to do with the law of his God. Here's what happened in all these cases. In Daniel's case, in Baronel Stutzman, in, in uh, the, the fire chief, and in Jack Phillips, what, what happened is they followed and honored the law of God, which never changes. And watch this. They came into direct conflict with the current laws of our culture, which change all the time. Listen, you, Christian, what do we do with this? Well, you know, what do we do? Listen, you are an alien. I'm trying to express this in many ways as I know how. You are a resident alien. 
This world is not your home. And if your hope is that one day American values and Christian values will perfectly overline, I have tried in multiple sermons to get you to see those two things need to be utterly separate in your mind. There are American values, freedom, self-expression at all costs. There are Christian values. Every now and then, as a happy coincidence that I'm grateful for, they overlap. And I think that's great. That's wonderful. But I don't expect them to. And I certainly don't expect them to more and more. And I certainly don't expect them to in every place. That's why I can teach my children, oh, honey, those are American values. We have Christian values. Sometimes they line up. American values are against racism. Christian values are against racism. Woohoo! We line up. Great! But sometimes I've noticed the laws of God never change. The laws of culture change all the time. So my job, my purpose, is not to get all bent out of shape and get mad and spend my life trying to make the world act like anything other than the world. My purpose is to bear faithful witness through loving the world day in, day out, and showing them that my true home, oh, I have a king and a kingdom, and it's not any government here on this earth. And I love him, and I'm going to be with him forever and ever, and that kingdom is coming. That's the, this whole secular world is what's going out. This is what's coming, and you can join me. That's my job. See, that's my purpose as an alien. Daniel was ultimately hated, and I think ultimately this, this uh, uh, persecution will build. Ultimately, I think it's, it's his alien nature. At the end of the day, a Christian's never going to quite fit in. Daniel, in a sense, made him a little uncomfortable. Why? Because of his religion? Not exactly. Not exactly. Babylon was a really religious place. You can worship anybody in Babylon. You can worship Marduk. You can worship Baal. You can even, Daniel, you want to worship Yahweh? Worship Yahweh. Babylon had no problem with Daniel worshiping Yahweh. What was their problem? The problem was when Daniel said that Yahweh is the only true and living God. Okay, now we got a problem. See, they weren't mad about Daniel worshiping Yahweh. They were mad about the exclusivity. It's the same thing as a Christian in 2021. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Look, you could put that on a t-shirt and parade it all around. Nobody would say a thing. You could, say, you, could, you could put that on blast. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the whole world would celebrate. Yeah, that Jesus, he said a lot of good things like that. He gives you life. He works for you. That's awesome. You can do anything you want as long as you don't finish the verse. You won't get into a bit of trouble until you finish the verse. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, now we got a problem, right? As long as it's just Jesus' way, the truth, and life, everybody's celebrating for you. But he's also, the, look, the only door is the open door. But the open door is the only door. It's Jesus. And you'll be the same way. I suppose that's why First Peter, that's why Daniel, I'm trying to prepare God's people to think in this way, to think as a resident alien. It is the way forward in an increasingly secular society. Otherwise, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to keep watching the news. Your blood pressure is already dangerously high. And you're going to think, well, what's happening? What's happening to this world? I know, I know. It's going to be okay. Welcome to exile. You are, I hope, a weirdo. Now, I hope you're a winsome weirdo. There are weirdos that are just, you know, weird for the sake of being weird. I'm not talking about that. But you're just not going to fit in. You're a winsome weirdo. It's okay. And do you know who I'm really after in this? I'm after the parents, but I'm also, if you're a teenager right now, it's okay. You, you, the quicker you can get over the fact you don't belong, 
you're not going to fit in. You do, but, but everybody needs their group. You do, you have a group. It is called the Church of the Living God. And, and here's a great thing. If you move away from Coleman, you can find members of this group in every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Okay? Don't you worry. You've got a group. We've got a family of faith. It's just going to look weird. That's okay. The faster you can agree, I'm a weirdo. And my pastor's a weirdo. He's the biggest weirdo of them all. Okay? Fine. All right. Verse 6, you see, you can't find anything. Daniel was despised without call. Okay, I, I do need it. One, sorry. One footnote. I said I was going to move on, and then I paused. <sighs> he was a man of despised devotion. He was despised at his work because of his love and commitment and faithfulness to God and his integrity. This does not apply to you if you are like a lazy thief, Okay. If you like go to your job and you steal from your job and you gossip around everybody and always behind their back and you get fired, don't be like, yeah, they said we Christians would face persecution. <laughs> no, you brought that on yourself. That's not persecution. You're just obnoxious. You see the difference, right? Okay, so don't be like, man, I'm earning the hate. I'm a Daniel. No, 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 no. Okay, I don't think that's the case for anybody, but I wanted that said. Verse 6, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, uh, you see that by agreement? That shows they're in cahoots. It's, it's a collusion. It's a conspiracy. They came by agreement to the king and said to uh, they're going to set the trap. They said to him, O King Darius, live forever. And then they hit him with what is one of my all-time favorite uh, uh, sort of political moves. Verse 7, here's what they say to the king. All the high officials of the kingdom... The prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that you should do this following thing. Hey, anyone who is in any position of leadership at any level, you know this, right? Your alarm bell should go off. Red flag should go up anytime somebody says to you, well, you know, everybody feels this way. Well, you know, that, you know everybody's talking about this, right? I love this. Like, well, all the high officials, really? What about, what's the one high official that I'm about to make prime minister? What's his, oh yeah, Daniel. Well, not Daniel, but everybody else, right? Oh, I learned as a pastor this early on. I wish it didn't take me so long to learn. But I remember in New York, you know, they, Pastor, we need to talk. We got a big, you know, we got a big problem. And you, you know, sit down for breakfast. And of course, I'm so nervous and, you know, and I don't know what, you know. And, and well, you know, everybody's talking about this and everybody wants this done. And you got to fix and, you know, all this, everything. I wish I'd learned early on when somebody sits you down and says, well, you know, everybody's been talking about what they mean is, you know, my wife and I have been talking about, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, all right, all right, all right, you know. Uh, but here, you know, 2,500 years, you think we would have graduated past sort of peer pressure techniques. But why would Satan move on from something that works? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So part of why he's trying to get you to sin is, uh, part of how, is just through simple peer pressure. We know all the satraps feel this way. Everybody's doing it. You really are a weirdo. Nobody else feels that way. It's not true. Here's the uh, injunction. Here, here's what they're trying to get him. All, you know, quote, unquote, everybody's talking about. We think you should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. We are wanting to set up Darius Appreciation Month. 
And they're not appreciating you, Darius. And I, I, I don't know what leads Darius to make this terrible decision. But the only thing I can figure is it's a good move for him politically. Like, he, you know, he's thinking, well, I do have a pretty diverse kingdom. And one of the things that really is dividing people right now is not only their politics, but it's their religion. If I could get everybody to have whatever religion they want, as long as they prayed to me, see, no matter who you pray to, Marduk or, or Yahweh or Baal or whoever, as long as you end every prayer with, in Darius' name we pray. So you're kind of getting everybody to pray through Darius. He goes, that, that's probably a good idea. That will cement my kingdom. That, 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 that's probably a good idea, he thinks. So just to be clear, verse 8, they're saying, no, 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 because it's a trap. Put this in uh, ink. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document, but do it like, not just like, like you said it, like really, really write it. Sign on the dotted line. So do it, do it like the, the Medes and Persians style. So that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. The ancient Near East, these cultures, you know, the, the writing of the king, and it could not be uh, 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 contradicted. He falls for it. Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the document and the injunction. That's it. Starting now, anyone who prays has to pray in the name of Darius. You can still pray and do whatever you want, uh, but there you have it. Well, when Daniel knew, verse 10... The scene shifts to Daniel. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, in other words, this is civil disobedience. It's not like Daniel was a whoopsie, I didn't know. No, when he knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And what's it say? He got down on his knees three times a day and thought to himself, I've been at this for 80 years. What's a 30-day month off? <laughs> no. You know, I've, I've been going, I've been really serving you, Lord, so faithfully. Can I catch a break? No. Three times a day, he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This was not reactionary. This was not out of nowhere. It's what was his habit. Where did this habit come from? I want you to see that his prayer was actually grounded in Scripture. One of the things that uh, is interesting, he opens the window and he, he prays toward Jerusalem. Why is that? He prays toward Jerusalem because he's literally following 1 Kings chapter 8. Now let me explain. A little, little context. I, 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 I actually put the verses up here so you could see them. In uh, uh, 1 Kings, Solomon has built the temple for the glory of God. So the temple in Jerusalem has gone up, and now one of the great prayers of all time is recorded, and it is the dedication of the Jerusalem temple. And Solomon prays all this stuff. May the, you know, may the people come. May they always serve you, Lord. May they never fail you. You know, all that stuff. But then Solomon realizes, but everybody sins. What if they sin so much that God takes them into exile? Now, this is hundreds of years before Daniel. That's literally what happened. Here's what Solomon prays. Look at verse 46. This is way back in 1 Kings chapter 8. So he's praying this dedication. They're there at the temple. If they sin against you, for there's no one who doesn't sin, and you're angry with them, Lord, and you give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. To which Daniel reads that. He's like, dude, that's us. Like, we've been carried off into exile. Okay. Verse 47. Yet, if they turn their heart in the land to which they've been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, so while they're still in Babylon, or in this case Persia, saying, We've sinned and we've acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you, look at this, and pray to you toward their 
land. You see that? Which, which, which you gave to their fathers, Lord. The city you've chosen. The house I've built for your name. Then you'll hear and you'll forgive. And it goes on and on. My, my point is simply, why did, why did Daniel pray toward Jerusalem? And, 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 I mean, have you ever thought about that? You, you know, he, he lifts up because he's doing exactly what King Solomon said. Once you're in exile, turn your heart. And not only turn your heart, get on your knees and turn your whole body back toward Jerusalem. And the temple is gone. It's been destroyed. And yet there Daniel stands on the promises of Scripture and prays to a temple you cannot see because he trusts in a God you cannot see. Now, have you ever wondered which direction should you pray? Uh, you know, Muslims, they pray in a particular direction. Christians don't have a particular direction where they pray. Do you know why? Because our true homeland is not the Jerusalem we have now. It's the new Jerusalem. It's the coming Jerusalem. It's the coming kingdom. And because of that, we don't have, on this earth, we're, we're strangers and aliens. We're pilgrims. We're longing for a heavenly city that's not yet been revealed. And that's why we pray to God. There's no particular direction. But for Daniel, this made total sense. It's, it's a scriptural way of praying. It's also a prayer of humility. He got on his knees. Did you see that? By the way, if you're physically able, it is a great practice to at least occasionally kneel when you pray. It's a good physical reminder of what's happening in the spiritual. It's a habit three times a day. I thought the, the, the thing, in, if you go back to chapter 6, verse 10, he, he, what's the content of his prayer? I mean, you've just, you're, you're about to face down the lion's den. You come to the end of your life, and the, the content of my prayer would be a lot of whining. It would be a lot of, this isn't fair. I've done nothing but serve you. Not Daniel. Look, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks. It's Thanksgiving. Why? Because he, he'd done his homework. I don't want to preach Daniel 9. We'll get there. But we get a little sample of the kind of prayer. Daniel realizes as the persecution rises, he knows. He's read the scriptures. It can only mean one thing. We're getting close. We're getting nearer and nearer to the end. The end of captivity. It's coming. Our rescue is coming. Because persecution goes up. I'm, he's giving thanks. Lord, that means we're getting close. Let's see. So, he gives thanks. I want to say one more thing about this defiant prayer and we'll move on. To me, it's the most important thing, but I, I, I cannot for the life of me figure out how I can express it. I don't know that I did a real good job in the 8 a.m., um, but like a mulligan in golf, I get a second crack at it here uh, with you all. Um, but to me, it's, it's the most, it, to me, it was the most compelling part of this, my study for this whole uh, sermon. And I don't know, I've preached on Daniel in the lion's den like, I don't know, at least more than once. I've certainly read this story countless times. I don't know how I'd never seen this. More than one commentary pointed this out. Here it is. The real battle in Daniel 6 is not in the lion's den. It's in that prayer chamber. Back up if you can and look at that verse from the lens of spiritual warfare. Everybody remembers the lions in the lion's den of Daniel 6. I'm here to tell you the real lions were roaring and prowling right there in verse 10. That's the real battle. That's the real drama. Listen to me carefully, church. You've got to hear this. By the time you get to the lion's den, the battle has been fought and won. He can't be hurt in the lion's den. Christians are always worried, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us? God is worried with, what will you do today? Will you be faithful? You leave what happens in my hands. The battle right now is will you pray or not? Not what's going to happen. Uh, 
the, 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 de- the demons that were fought off in that moment, when that 70-year-old man, the real battle was this. I don't know. I've been faithful for 70 years. Seems like, seems like I could take 30 days off. It's just 30 days. It's no big deal. And then he realizes, no, that's not right. Well, at least I could shut the window. I don't have to pray so publicly. No, you've been doing it three times a day. You know it'd be cowardice if suddenly you didn't. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, I could pray facing Jerusalem. I could pray facing some other way. You know what the word of God says. Yeah, but I mean, what good am I going to be if I'm, if I'm food for lions? How, I've been promoted to prime minister. I can do a lot of good for my people. No, the best good you can do is obedience to God, whatever the cost. It's not up to you to determine your score, your rating, how am I doing good or bad. You be obedient. You leave all those results in God's hands. You hear the battle going on. And finally, in that moment, when he throws open that window and those old 80-year-old knees begin to bend and those hands clasp in prayer, that right there, the the howls of hell. You, you can hear it. The screams of hell. The battle's lost. Lions. Lions is small potatoes. That's what comes later. The battle is what he pray. Here's how one commentator put it. Veldkamp. The miracle of grace is that that man of prayer prayed. The lions get all the press. But this. This shows us the dangers we don't see are generally much greater than the dangers we do see. When we watch Daniel being lowered into the lion's den, we hold our breath in fear and anticipation. Yet by that point, the danger's already been overcome and the great fight's been fought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a wondrous miracle that God preserves one of his children in the lion's den. But it's no less a miracle that God's gracious hand saved Daniel when all of Babylon, goaded on by Satan, tried to pry apart those 80-year-old hands clasped tightly in prayer. That's the miracle. Will you be obedient? Will you pray? Because the lions couldn't harm Daniel, and they can't harm you. The only thing that can harm a Christian is sin. You hear me? That's it. You keep your life close and clean to God, you cannot be harmed. The only thing that can harm is sin. Nothing out the, the lions can't separate you. Neither, 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 nothing. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in all of creation shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. You be obedient today. You pray for the grace to bear the cross today. God will handle what happens to you. That's the miracle. That's the great fight of faith. But there's this exciting part about the lions, and so we got to get to it. Okay. Verse 11. Then these men, of course, they know. They knew Daniel was going to pray. It's his faithfulness and integrity that got him, in, you know, got him in trouble in the first place. Then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. It was a plot. It was, you know, by agreement. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. Notice they didn't start with, we caught Daniel. No, they, they pin him on the horns of his dilemma. Oh, king, um, remind us, did did you not um, sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? The king answered, why are you asking me this? Like, you were there. You're like, yes, the thing stands fast. According to the law of Medes and Persians, it cannot be revoked. Oh, well, you have no idea how happy it makes us to hear you say that. Because, verse 13, then they answered and said before the king, and this is ridiculous, Daniel? Who is one of the exiles from Judah? Like, are you kidding me? The guy's about to make him prime minister of the whole country. Daniel, you ever heard of him? (laughs) Funny only to me. Daniel, who's about, 
you know, he's just this exile from Judah. He's just this little old slave, you know. He knows who Daniel is. Well, he pays no attention to you. That's not true. It's a lie. Oh, king. Or the injunction you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Uh, notice that, by the way. You, uh, I made this point last week. As, as, as American values and Christian values shift more and more, one of the first signs is you've got to get used to you will not receive credit for stuff you did right. You will be treated unfairly. Daniel's going, I did nothing wrong. That's right. And you will have to resist, as Daniel did, the urge to be defensive and to fight back at every turn and to prove yourself. You'll have to leave, as Daniel did, your life and your reputation into the hands of a loving God. You're only able to do that, by the way, if you're thoroughly convinced that your reward and your home and your ultimate citizenship is not here. If you are not convinced of that, you will fight tooth and nail out of defensiveness to make sure you're vindicated here and now because this is all you got. If, however, you have a biblical understanding... You'll be able to say, deep breath, Pastor Tom said, we weirdos would not be treated fairly. That is happening to me now. Lord, please help me not rage. Amen. Or whatever you need to do. You understand? You got it, right? Okay. I will leave it in your hands, Lord. I, um, they, I mean, they, they, they answered and said, well, well, you know, he's making his petition three times a day. Daniel course three times a day I told you I'd get back to that I I told you there were three things to write down some of you are looking at your watch like three things we are in big trouble uh the other the other two are we'll do much 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 more quickly but Daniel was a man with I want you to see this holy habits holy habits he prayed three times a day as was his custom it wasn't like oh yeah yeah you're gonna you're gonna say I can't pray well I'm I'm suddenly gonna pray out of nowhere you know what I mean um as a reaction No, he just kept doing what he'd been doing. He was a man with holy habits. Can I ask you about your holy habits? um, Sometimes when it comes to religious faith, uh, people are skeptical and scared of the word habit. They think habits are a bad thing because habits can just become routine and ritual and there's no spirit in them. You know, there's there's no exuberance to them. And to some degree, they have a point. I would push back, however, and say, that is not always the case. Sometimes that's the whole point of having a habit. You have a habit that you want to do because you realize not always do you feel like doing it. And so the habit carries you through sometimes what the will cannot alone. Um, I mean, I, you have lots of habits. You don't, holy habit, they're, they're not bad. They shouldn't be, I mean, you know, a lot of you have a habit. You, uh, you brush your teeth like daily. And that was like really important before all the masks. You know, now it's less. You know? <laughs> you know, but the people next to you certainly appreciate that holy habit. But like none of you, I, I, I don't think, none of you when you woke up this morning, I don't think you were, first thing when you woke up, you know what I'm looking forward to today? You know what's going to give me a blast of spiritual bliss and excitement? I can't wait to see what I get out of it. What? Brushing my teeth. I can't wait. By the way, if any of you did say that, I'm curious to know what kind of toothpaste do you use? Because I want some of that. You understand? No, you didn't think that. You weren't, you weren't, you weren't. I can't wait to see what spiritual exuberance I get out of this. And I'm going to wait until I have a spontaneous moment. And I'm filled with the desire for uh, oral hygiene. In which case, no, you just get up and you brush your teeth. Why? Because it's what you do, right? And yet, and yet... Uh, when you come to the, uh, your Bible reading, your daily Bible reading, you do the same thing. You say, well, I didn't feel like reading today. I, I don't know what I got out of that. Well, wait, how do you know what you got out of your toothbrushing? 
It's not like any of you left your teeth brushing today and went, whoo, right? No, you don't know what you got out of it. But you did it. Why? Because gingivitis is sneaky. (laughs) And so is sin. And we don't know, as we open God's word day in, day out, as we go three times to our knees in prayer, we don't know what spiritual battles are being fought and won as we pray. We don't know. And so those holy habits, people, you know, well, I... I didn't, I didn't go to Sunday school. I didn't go to Wednesday night. Why? Didn't feel like it. Who asked you what you felt like? Is Christianity a glandular condition? If I get a little squirt of spiritual adrenaline, I suddenly feel like th- this or that. Develop a holy habit. Why, 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 am, I, why am I so... I guess I'm... Uh, it hit me this week. Daniel's 80 years old. How on earth do you have the, the, the ability to, to all the way to the tape, right, to run all the way to the finish line, to say, I fought the good fight, I've run the race. That doesn't come out of nowhere. That comes chapter after chapter. We have been with Daniel. We have watched him grow up. He has a legacy. And I'm telling you, it started, we saw it in Daniel 1, when that little teenager resolved. He made a resolution as a teenager, and I don't think in that moment he got any benefit. Everybody else made fun of him. It almost cost him his life. Well, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a furnace. He didn't get anything out of it. So what are you getting as a habit when you're a teenager and you're faithfully attending youth group? You're faithfully coming to church. What do you do when you're a parent? And it would be so much easier just to live stream this week, right? And you're coming week after week. You are forming holy habits for when they're 80. You got to hear me. The cement is hardening on the habits of your child. Let me talk to everyone who has any, anyone in your orbit, if you're a parent, a grandparent, a step-parent, a foster parent, if you, if you know a kid in your sphere of influence, you're a coach, you're a teacher, of anyone zero to 18 years old, the cement is hardening on their spiritual habits. I'm not saying that to be scary. I'm saying it to be true and real. My father-in-law, you've all had the experience of cement hardening. My father-in-law, we're putting together this fence, and you can dig the hole. You know how you have to put the footers or whatever you can. My father-in-law was building a fence, right? Let's be honest. I was there. And uh, 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 these holes, you can take all the time you want to dig the holes, and you can do all the measurements. You take all the time you want to dig the measurements. You can take all the time you want on all this stuff. But there comes a point where you can know now you're on the clock, and it's when we began mixing the concrete. And once we began mixing the concrete, it got real. It was like, listen, you, you don't have all day to figure out where in this hole you want this post to go. You don't have all day to get it level. You don't have all day to get it. Because once it's in there, it's set. You don't have all day. You got 18 years. Every Sunday's important. Every Sunday school is important. Every Sunday school class is important. 16 years old, 17 years old, I don't care. Every Wednesday night, you be in youth group. Every, why? The cement on your life is forming, and you can't see it right now. Right now, it's, I can miss a week, or nah. I'm telling you, the cement is forming. It's not about one week off. It's about a lifetime, a legacy. And if anybody, if you think, well, but, you know, that, that, that's difficult, that's hard. I, I, I know, I know. So let me give you a little hope. How'd you like to be Daniel's mom and daddy? I mean, really, just for a second. Can we just 
enjoy and delight in Daniel's mama and daddy. I don't see him anywhere in Daniel, so now I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> but Daniel's mom and daddy, they were probably in heaven by the time he got to the lion's den, don't you reckon? But what, what if? I don't know at what time they, they went on to heaven. I don't know if they were in Jerusalem they were left behind and they were just getting text messages back from Daniel because they couldn't call it. It was a little text. I, I don't know. I don't know if maybe they went to Babylon. How'd you like to be Daniel's mom and daddy? And you look at that kid growing up and you notice they changed his clothes and he dresses just like a Chaldean. He had no choice. And they, they changed his whole style and appearance. had no choice. And they changed all his education. And, you know, we sent him off. And, and far from the Bible Belt in Jerusalem, we sent him way off to Babylon. And he got all this secular education. They changed his education. And have you heard him talk? Oh, my goodness. Have you heard Daniel talk? His accent's completely changed. You know, he used to sound like a good old boy from the Bible Belt in Jerusalem. Now he sounds like a Babylonian Yankee. And they've dressed him up. And they've changed his education. And they've changed his clothes. And they've changed his accent. Oh, but honey, you know, the one thing they could never change was his commitment to our living God. They couldn't change it. You can't tell me that chapter one's decision as a teenager did not impact chapter six's decision in the lion den. You can't tell me that. So to every parent who is fighting tooth and nail to get the kids in a minivan... Without killing anybody. <laughs> I'm here to say, well done. Keep going. Good. Good job. We're with you. And you're doing the right thing. And it's very hard. But it's not nearly as hard as the alternative. Well, the king. The cement is setting on Daniel's life. And the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He's got till nightfall before the injunction starts. And he's looking for any loophole. But he killed the Medes and Persians. They know what Darius is trying to do. He's trying to find a loophole. So you know there's not one. No injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Continually deliver you. Now that is... And and spent the night without him. And, and plus he actually loved Daniel. He's not just, it's not just self-serving here. Than to be a faithless king in a palace. God can protect the... Still nothing. Has your God? Still nothing. Whom you serve continually? Still nothing. Meanwhile, Daniel's down there with a line like, let's make him sweat. <laughs> Has he been able to deliver you from... The angels, I got the pet lion. This is for those who refuse God. And the king commanded, and those men who oh, who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Now I wonder how they feel about everybody saying it. Now they're like, no, 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 there's just some people, just really, not me. Back then it was all, okay. They're, they, their children, you said all, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. The point being that the, it's not like the lions were, were full uh, pre-Daniel. I mean, they, they were ravenous beasts. Um, the business, of course, it's awfully disturbing. I mean, what's not disturbing is the justice, right? In the ancient Near East, if you accuse somebody and you knew you were lying, you were, making, you were framing them, then whatever punishment you wanted on them, 
If they found out you were lying, that punishment would be given to you. That's only fair. What's cruel and hard to even get your head around is that the, the men did it, but their children and wives are also killed. That is cruel. That would have never happened in Israel. God's law, that wouldn't have happened. But we're not in Israel. We're in Persia. Persia, and like a lot of the ancient Near East, that's like Game of Thrones stuff. I mean, it's, they don't, it's wicked and vicious. And so they don't. I would also point out to everyone who would say, that's horrible. Why should they suffer? Um, yo, it's 2021, but is it not still the case that when dads do the wickedness, the wives and children still fall on the devastation? See? There is a dark side. There will come a day where some rejoice, but others will cry out in anguish. By the way, that's why the Bible always says, so today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Get right with the Lord today. There will come a day when it's too late. But back to the celebration of what God did for Daniel. Darius becomes the praise band leader. Verse 25, he wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Oh, I don't know if even Darius knew how right he was. Enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And the kingdoms just go on and on and on. The names change. The laws change. The man of God remains steadfast. He's the living God. The musicians are going to come and lead us in a time of response and invitation. And as they uh, prepare, I, you know, I, if you're a shrewd listener, you're, you're, you know something's missing. I promised you three points. Um, uh, Daniel was a man of despised devotion. He was a man of holy habits. But that, that, that's the problem. That's what's so hard when you preach Daniel. The, the temptation, right, is you, you, you walk out of here and you go, okay, what was that sermon about? I got to have more holy habits. I got to get my kids in church more. I got to be more faithful. I got to more, have more integrity. I got to be known for my faith in Christ. I've just got to, and there's even a song that little children used to learn. I've got to dare to be a Daniel. Anybody dare to be a Daniel? Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to do what's right. Dare, you know. And so you walk out of here and you go, well, that's convicting, that's convicting. But at some point, it's going to hit you. I'm not a Daniel. And I'm not either. Your pastor's not a Daniel. Oh, I'd, I'd love to dare to be a Daniel. And I'd love to, I, I want to take away everything I can from Daniel 6. I want to I I, I be challenged by this. And by the way, if I ever step on your toes, I had 10 of my own that I had to get past to get to yours. So don't think that this, that, that this isn't convicting stuff. And I want to be a Daniel. And I want to know that I'm going to finish that tape. Uh, I, want to, I want to negative split my life. Meaning I want, to run, I want to run the back half faster, not slower. But if I'm going to be sprinting when I'm 70, I better be running now. You see, okay. But boy, this is, the fact is, I, all the good advice in the world wouldn't help me be a Daniel. And that's why I need good news. I need it week after week after week. And so do you. We need to hear that all of us who've dared to be Daniels and failed need to remember this about Daniel 6. And it's, it drips from every verse. Some of you were a mile away. Some of you saw it when they rolled a stone in front of the den. Others of you saw it when they sealed it. So you, you, Daniel, Daniel was a man of future fulfillment. And here's where we pivot from good advice to good news, y'all. 
Christians throughout centuries have pointed out the obvious. Daniel 6 is not just a kid's story about a man and some lions, is it? Christians throughout centuries have pointed out what is so obvious. In Daniel, the satraps and presidents conspired against him. In the New Testament, we read the chief priests and elders conspired against Jesus. They couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel, and they sure couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. So they said, well, they made up some law. He broke this law. They said Jesus broke the laws of the scribes and the Pharisees and the traditions. Darius tried to save Daniel. Pontius Pilate tried to save King Jesus. Daniel descended into the pit. Jesus descended into the grave. The the, the grave was, uh, the, the, the pit had a stone rolled in front and they sealed it. And our Lord Jesus had a stone rolled in front of his grave and they sealed it. And early in the morning, Darius came to find out, is there salvation in God? And we read in all four gospels, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, on that Easter Sunday morning, they went, those women went to that tomb and there they heard the angel of the Lord say, he is not here, he has risen. And just like Darius prospered Daniel Jesus has now prospered and been given the name that is above every name at the name of Jesus every knee will bow every tongue will confess that he is Lord all the glory of God the Father so there's so many similarities Daniel 6 is meant to lift your heart it's meant to it's meant to encourage you and remind you of the great King Jesus the true and better Daniel but of course there are some differences most notably when Daniel went through his trial his ordeal in the end, there was a last-minute deliverance. But you know that when Jesus went all the way to Calvary's cross and he stretched out his arms on that old Roman cross, there was no last-minute deliverance. Psalm 22, which he quotes from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? goes on to say, Strong lions are tearing at me. They persecute me without cause, though I've done nothing wrong. And the wrath of God tore Jesus. He allowed himself to be cut off from God the Father so that Daniel never would be so that you never would be. And one more. When Daniel came out of that den, he came out alone. But when our conquering hero, Jesus, the true and better Daniel, came up out of that grave, he brought with him every blood-bought, born-again sinner He brought with him a people for himself. From heaven, he came and sought for himself a bride, the church, you and me, Christian. He not only purchased his own redemption and resurrection, he purchased ours. So that we may, until the day the Lord calls us home, we may run our race all the way to the finish. Let's pray. God, grant to us the grace to receive correction from the Word of God, to receive challenge from the Word of God. Oh, but Lord, grant to us that we might receive the gospel good news of your Word. That for every failed attempt at being a Daniel, there's a God who loves us. A God who sent his only begotten Son to redeem sinners and and all the, the failed Daniels. Lord, thank you for that true and better Daniel who was not just an example to follow, but a savior to rescue. God, grant that we might follow him all the days of our life. In Jesus' name.